Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of James. You got to go through Hebrews to get to James' house. You know, before we, uh, before we had sermons at our fingertips on our phones, I used to pick up sermons wherever I could. And there was, uh, I'd get them from preacher friends, you know, get a copy from them, or uh, some of the sermons I heard, I never even knew who was preaching it, you know, you just listen to it. And uh, some of them were revival meetings, and there was uh, a truck stop that was near where we lived, and we'd stop in there on the way to see Dee Dee's parents, and there was cassettes in there. And I got to where I was listening to this one guy. He must have been from Louisiana, but living in South Carolina or something. I don't know. But uh, he, he, sometimes he did more talking than preaching, kind of like I'm doing right now. But there was a sermon. I can't remember if it was him or if this was from a friend. But uh, the sermon was, shut your dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking mouth. <laughs> There was something that happened in that church. And you know, if you've ever, if you've ever listened to sermons like that, where you, if you ever remember a time grabbing cassettes and listening to different ones, you know, and you just don't know what exactly went on, but you knew something bad happened in that church when he preached it. I'm here to tell you, that's not my title, and that's not my message this morning. <laughs> now, you might call me mealy mouth or whatever, but I want you to understand... I'm not, I'm not poking a finger at anybody. If uh, there's any finger poking, poking, that's between you and God. But uh, I, was, I was praying about a message. I had another one lined up, and God showed me this one. It's one I preached a few years back, a number of years back. And, uh, but uh, it just kind of moved to the front this morning. So, but uh, the name of my message, and it's based off the same passage, James chapter 3, where it talks about the tongue, is use your words. Now, that comes from Dee Dee when she uh, worked in daycare, taking care of the little kids. And you get a couple kids that would uh, fight, and we're talking toddlers. And uh, the, the kids would fight each, with each other. And one of the things, Dee Dee was always real good with kids, although she doesn't like taking care of them. <laughs> she would pull them aside and, and say, use your words. And I've used that in my own life. You get mad at somebody, you want to say something, you say, you know, I told you about the hard lesson I learned working in a factory about how bad you can hurt people, hurt the work environment. And uh, you learn to use your words. And that's, that's a part of the problem where a lot of people mess up is they hold on to things or they talk to somebody else that's not even related to the problem about what's going on. But the Bible, the Bible tells us to treat that differently. We're going to start out and look in James chapter number one just by way of intro. Just to give some context to what we're looking at here. We know from James 1.1, James is speaking to the Christian Jews. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And then over in verses 16 through 7, it's all right, we're, we're going to get to the passage here. 
Well, we're just kind of starting out. But over in 16 and 17, he talks about how to receive God's word. And in uh, verse number 19, verses 16 to 27, how to receive God's word. In verse 19, he said, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Or as, or as I was told when I was younger, have two ears, you have two ears and one mouth. That tells you you ought to be listening more than talking. A wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like that wise old bird? Now, that's not Bible, but it's a good little verse to remember. Let's uh, open with prayer, and we'll get into the sermon. Amen. So how to receive God's word? Because sometimes you'll just close up. Sometimes you'll just lock up. You'll say, this, this isn't for me. This isn't to me. But as we listen to God's word, James talks about it. He says in verse, uh, uh, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And uh, for, the wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness, and receive the meek with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. It's a preparation of the heart in hearing God's word. Not only are we to hear God's word, but we're to be doers of God's word. In verse 22, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deed. And that's just the preparation of the heart for what comes. A man asked me one time something to the effect of, what does your church do more than just pray for people? And then he said something that I didn't quite understand because you never know the context of a question like that. He mentioned religiosity. There's a lot of people that are living religiosity. I've seen the term on the internet. I've looked at the modern church and read articles on the millennial generation avoiding a traditional church like the plague, but they're also tiring of a lot of the shallowness of the modern church. And they, they want genuineness. They want to know that there is a God. They want to know that they want a genuine church. They're tired of seeing people that play church, that just pretend church, or they just show up for church. They want to be seen at church. It's kind of like going out to your garage, sitting in there and and. Th- pretending to be a car. You're really not a car in the end. But we go to church to to walk our Christian life. We go to church to learn from God's word. And I think I said all that to say this, that in in the coming verses, take it with the right heart with what comes. Verse 26 says, if anyone among you seems to be religious. Now, I think that might be the very definition of religiosity. There's a lot of people that seem to be religious. It says, and doesn't bridle his tongue. So we'll cover more on that in a minute. He deceives his own heart and his religion, his worship, the appearance of being religious is all in vain. It doesn't mean anything. 
So when I read this passage, I think back on some of the things that I've seen take place among Christians. And, and by chance, well, I, I don't think anything's by chance, but, you know, I kind of got a little confirmation in Sunday school. The conversation started up with, without my help, talking about church splits. And uh, just to be frank, a lot of church splits start because people start talking. We get to James chapter number three, and he talks about the tongue, and he talks about bridling the tongue. But right here he says, if any man seems to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, that man's religion is in vain. All that you're doing is just vanity. All right, so let's go to chapter number three. In James chapter number three, verse number one says, My brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Everybody wants to be a teacher. Everybody wants to teach somebody else. When you look back at what Paul said in uh, Romans chapter number two, he was talking to the Jews who knew the law and they, they knew all the ordinances and everything. And they, they looked at the other Christians and they kind of put themselves above the other Christians. But he pointed out to them, he said, we're all, there's none righteous, no, not one. You know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nobody above anybody. There's, there's spiritual leaders, but they are held more to account than the people that are under them. If you want to be a teacher, be prepared for that, that there's more to be accounted for in being above. So in chapter 2, James talks about showing your faith by your works. Um. God knows your heart, but man can only see God through your works. The problem is that we can get so caught up with works, other problems can develop in the way you look at others. So in James chapter 3, he addresses one of those. And that was backing up a minute. But um, he says, be not many masters or teachers, some of your Bibles say. In Matthew 22, 30, 22 8 says, be, be, ye not called, be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and you are all brethren. And call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. In uh, Matthew 23, 10, he said, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. In uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 20, he says, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal. And uh, that's just covering what I said about Romans chapter number two when Paul was talking to the Jews. He said, you're guilty of the same things that you're teaching. So he lays the groundwork Back in James chapter number three, verse one, he said, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. And the context that we're going for is if you're able to bridle your tongue, you're able to bridle your whole body. Because we're going to find out that the tongue can run away. The tongue can cause great damage. The words that we speak can hurt people. The words that we speak can send somebody, I, I talked about always picturing World War II flying in formation and one of the planes just drops, up, drops out. That's what it feels like when somebody drops out of church. It's like we were all flying in formation and somebody just rolls out because that plane is going to its destruction. 
And I'm not, let me correct it. I see the look. But let me correct it. doesn't mean just because you leave this church that you're headed toward destruction. But there are a lot of people that fall out of church and they're going for a rough ride because they don't go into another church. But they'll fall out. Their relationship with God will begin to get further and further away. They'll begin to slip into their old ways. Now, there are people that leave a church for a good reason. There are people that don't want to cause a problem in a church when they don't agree with it. And there are people that... Uh, well, I'm trying to think of good reasons. <laughs> there are people that leave a church because they're not getting fed or because there's something because they just don't gel with that church. But they'll go and find another church, but you have to keep trying and keep trying because you're going to reach a lot. You're going to find places that you don't fit in. You're going to find places that you don't agree with. And I want to tell you, if you find the perfect church, please don't go there because you'll just mess it up. There is no perfect church. But, uh, but other people will leave the church because they get offended, because they get hurt, because somebody said something. And they'll fall out of church and they'll begin to associate church with everything that has to do with God. And they'll begin to get away from God further and further. Maybe they were never saved in the first place. Maybe they were saved. We see in Romans chapter number 7 the temptation to do wrong even when you want to do right. And it may be that they just fall out of church if they get further away from God's people and they begin to run with the other old crowd again. And that's the plane that's rolling over, smoking, and headed toward the ground. He says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships which though they be so great and are driven by fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listed. Now back then, you would, you would stand on the stern and you controlled the rudder with a stick. Now it's so small, you can be on the tanker ship, and you can back me up on this or shut me down, Brother Bill, but you can be on a, some of those tankers, and I think it's a dial, isn't it? I've seen that on the helm. And on our ship, my ship when I was in the Navy, you know, it's just a little wheel. It's controlling this 300, okay, about that big. The dial's about that big. That's how I steer the ship. Oh, that's how you steer. So you're just dialing. Yep. You're not even working for it. Why do you put it like that? Because I let my tongue get away from me. And that's what we're talking about today. But just that little bitty dial will control that ship. How many feet? 230. 230 feet. I think it's just 100 feet shy of what, my, what the Ainsworth was. I could be wrong. But just that little dial controls it. And within our mouth is that little tongue. And it's the same way. That tongue leads us around. That tongue is what introduces us to people. That tongue is conversations that we have. That tongue is how we... How we learn more about people. And it can get away from us. Sometimes we can't bridle it. <laughs> let me let you know something. The more I'm learning about how my head works, <laughs> the more I'm looking back and seeing how out of control that tongue can get. <laughs> We're going to have to go to Ephesians chapter 6. I can see that right now. <laughs> or is it 5? <five? laughs> 
All right. I wouldn't do that. I will, I would go to Ephesians five, but not for that reason. All right. Bridle in the body and many things we offend. Some say stumble. I like to think of it as offending because there's many things to say about offending people without even meaning to. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. Some have no filter for what comes out of their mouth. I remember working at the power plant and I remember this one guy and, and I was kind of thankful, but he had no filter whatsoever. And uh, boss man's telling us, you know, the new company's going to be doing this or that or insurance is going to be this or that. And I can't tell you what the man said, but it came right out without a filter and it wasn't clean. And he said, well, that's just not right. Something like that and phrased a little different. And uh, we're, stand, we're sitting there talking to the plant manager and everybody just kind of, and the, the plant manager turned his head toward him and we all kind of stepped away from him, you know. <laughs> but we were kind of interested in the answer. But some people just don't have a filter. They'll, they'll say whatever comes out of their mouth. You ever been around somebody like that? They say, well, I just tell the truth. And it's like, you know, sometimes the truth don't need to be told like that. It don't always need to be told. Others have somewhat of a filter, but the one who controls everything he says is a perfect man. Now, here's a hint. If you're trying to figure out anybody that you knew, there was only one perfect man, and that was Jesus Christ. But if you can control the tongue, you can control the whole body. James 1.19, he said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. So bits and horses, just a small rudder, just a small, just, a, just holding a bridle, a child can lead around a Clydesdale horse that's well trained. That giant horse, a, a child can lead him around by the rain. A giant ship can be steered with just a dial. Look at uh, verse number five. He says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Um, you know, I grew up with Smokey Bear. Y'all remember Smokey Bear? Talked about forest fires. I think those commercials did more to train me as a kid than some school days. I, I, I still remember the commercial with the Indian on the horse crying, looking over all the polluted land. I still remember the cup falling out the window. I, I can't stand to throw trash out the window from this day. There's a cup. It goes, it's the, the journey of a cup. You can still see it on YouTube. It's just scratchy. The journey of a cup. It falls out the window and it, it goes down into the ditch and it flows down into the river. And there at the end at the lake, you see this pile of trash is built up. It was just one cup that was thrown out the window, but it all added up. And it's the same thing with our tongue. And a little fire. Those fires that they were out in California, and they've been there several years before, you know, but those fires that destroy property, that kill people, that just kill animals, that wipe out whole forests, start with a small fire, a small spark. Some of them, they, they tell us, were started by power lines that sparked or something like that. 
but just a little fire. You have a little campfire. You cook your spam over it because spam is good when you're camping. That's just not debatable, people. So you cook your spam over it, but you don't put your fire. That little fire, that little spark started at that. And then soon it becomes something that's destructive and destroys. This morning we, in Sunday school, we were talking about different churches and, and things that have happened in churches. And it can destroy a church. It can destroy somebody. Um, five through six, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that defileth the whole body. And setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. The devil will use your tongue. Defiles the whole body, sets on fire, fire the course of nature, sets on, set on fire of hell. Satan's always looking for a way in. Uh, whenever there's murmuring and complaining, backbiting, gossip, strife, or anger, you can bet God's not in it. And if you think I've been reading your mail, I hadn't. That's, that's something, you know, you need to work out with the Lord. I don't know of any problem here. But I do know of problems that crop up every day. Opportunities that we have to tear someone down or build them up. And it's all in that tongue. It's all in how we use it. And I can tell you, too, your own tongue can help you destroy yourself, too. When you run yourself down. Um, we look in the Bible, the Israelites in the wilderness, they murmured when they were thirsty. They murmured when they were hungry. They murmured when they were tired of the manna. They murmured when they felt like murmuring. You know, that murmuring, it just sounds like what it is. It's just people talking. Numbers 21.5, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. I'm just not getting fed. The Pharisees used false witnesses and stirred up the people against Jesus and the apostles. And they did it again when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned. Over in Acts 6.9. <coughs> Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. He was one of the first deacons. They chose out the seven men among them, full of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen was one of the first of them. Uh, 6.10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They suborned. In other words, they lied about it. And they stirred up the people. Verse 12, And the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And Stephen was the first martyr of the church age over there in Acts chapter number 7. And, and the way it happens when we're talking about the tongue, there's, there's steps that happen, there's steps that take place. 
somebody says or does something that doesn't quite sit right with you. You don't let it go or go to talk to the person that did it. Remember I said, Didi talked about use your words. And it's something we saw in a practical application, and I'll tell you about it later. But uh, if, you, if you don't use your, if you hang on to it, if something offended you, and you hang on to it, and you don't go to that person, you don't give them a chance to explain it. You may have misheard something. You may have misjudged something. You can get to going in your head and build somebody up into a monster. Like a pebble in the shoe, it begins to bother you. It begins to kind of grind on you. You know, kind of like the oyster, except making a nice pearl, it makes a big mess. You know, you talk to a friend about it, and you feel a little better. After all, you were just getting it off your mind, and you don't really want to hurt the person. You'd rather see them make changes and get on the right course. You know where I got this from? I didn't have to look it up. I used to be so good at griping and complaining about people. Does it feel like I'm too far out of the Bible here? That tongue can, can set a fire, and I'm just showing you some ways, you know. There you go. You would rather see them make changes and get on the right course. Your friend begins to tell you something else about them that you didn't know. Now you're comparing notes. After a while, you begin to see other things that line up with what you know and, and put that in quotes. No, because you never really know what's going on. So you, you see things, you have indications, you have clues, but they don't always tell you what's going on. Uh, they line up with what you know and what the other person told you. You may talk to some other people and the friend that you you talk to, talks to others also, and more information is added to the pile. If only that person would change. That person has no idea what's been going on between you and your friends. Has no idea about the conversations that have taken place. Has no idea. You're beginning to see a profile. Now everything about that other person just fits right into the profile you're building. And that profile is building up a monster. Now everything that the other person does, whether it's their mannerisms, the jokes they tell, the way they phrase things, anything they do or say points in the same direction and confirms your profile. Before long, something needs to be done about this monster because they're hurting the church. I know a lot of us in here are old enough to know that this is true. This is how it can happen in a church. How it can tear it apart. So let me tell you the other side. Now, do y'all see why I talked about uh, hearing it with the right heart? <laughs> On the other side, you talk to someone and share an idea. And this is the person that it's a monster now. You talk to someone, share an idea or a thought. And they got kind of quiet over something he said. And I've been there because there's things that I say that I, my mind will just throw stuff. You wonder what you said, but you got a lot on your mind. There's bills to pay. The kids are sick. You're struggling to keep up or whatever it is. After a while, the person becomes cordial to you, but often ignores you when you're in the room. 
It doesn't seem to be because they don't feel like talking because they spend plenty of time talking to their other friends. You've been shut out. One day someone mentioned something to you and you begin to think, I need to work on that. I didn't realize I was doing that. Um, but it's really too late to undo what you've already done. Soon you realize that it's a group of people who are being cordial but not really talking to you like they did before. Maybe a family member overhears something and tells you. Maybe you find out they all went on an outing <laughs> that you were usually included in, but no one told you it was happening. Soon you're hearing accusations that you don't have any idea where they came from. Or there's a group of people splitting a church in anger, and sometimes people can't even come up with a good reason why they're doing it. They've just gotten ginned up against the whole, against the pastor, against whatever's going on. There's no, there's no balm to salve that. There's no healing potion for that. The tongue is like a fire. The fires in California started when the forest became dry. A single spark, possibly an electrical line. And there's a, there's a spiritual picture there too now. When the forest becomes dry <laughs> and you become spiritually dry, those things will set you on fire. Possibly from an electrical line, maybe a campfire started by a single match or a cigarette or a hot tailpipe or sparks from a wheel can turn from something you snuff out with a shoe into thousands or even hundreds of thousands of acres and thousands of homes to burn. In the same way, a single offense can turn into a large dispute and in a way the results are the same as a fire. Families are uprooted from their church home and people are hurt. Even after the fire has died down, the embers burning of burning, the embers of burning gossip under the ashes can easily reignite again, causing other family families or members to leave. Now, it's not without hope, because Jesus gives us a fire extinguisher put out that fire. Now, when it gets so big, when nobody went for the fire extinguisher, it gets out of control. All you can do is let the firemen destroy the rest of it, putting it out, right? And I'm kind of painting a sloppy picture here. But Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, he said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So first you go to them. You use your words. It's such a hard thing to do sometimes. You just use your words. I think sometimes we want to be mad. I, I, think, I think sometimes it's easier to be aggravated at somebody than it is to go up and talk to them and say, you know, this kind of bothered me when you said this. Really? But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. This is what churches use for church discipline, but it works just as well between two church members. <clears throat> and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Shake the dirt off your feet. There's nothing you can do about it. In real life, the pastor's wife at a church we attended was known to offend people. 
Now, this was written when it was fresher on my mind, so forgive me for reading it, but there was always, there were people always ready to talk about it, and a split was on the verge of happening with a youth pastor and his wife taking a group with them. She had asked Megan, and Megan was just little, she had asked Megan to make a get well card for a member's wife that was in the hospital. The youth department would, would sign it and give it to her. She told her that his wife liked flowers. So Megan talked to the husband and found out that his wife couldn't see well, but she liked the feel of flowers. She was unable to move or talk, and her husband had to take care of her every need. So what Megan did, she went all out. She got a poster board, and she painted a vase on the card and then made 3D flowers to put on the card. They were soft, and they stood out. Needless to say, this took a bit of work. And when Dee Dee gave the card to the pastor's wife, she looked at it and set it down and said, that's not what I asked for. Now, this is my daughter that spent all this time on this. So we were the offended party in a way. And uh, she, went, she went to the youth pastor about it, and he took the card, and everyone signed it and gave it to the member's wife anyway. And he told Dee Dee and Megan how much his wife had enjoyed the card, and he had set it in front of her bed, and she would just stare at it. There was already a small fire burning, and this incident just added fuel to the flames. People talked. Dee Dee finally came around to talking to the pastor's wife about it. She decided to use her words because it was bothering her. It was on her mind but we didn't want to add fuel to the flames anymore than we already had. So she talked to the pastor's wife, and, uh, and she explained how it hurt her. And after she explained it, the pastor's wife broke down crying. It upset her that she'd done that. She said, that's not how I meant it at all. She was just thinking of how she had asked for a card, and, you know, you get this big thing kind of overdone. I don't know exactly, but she was thinking functionally. And there's some people, you know, they're just trying to, to get different things done and they've got, their, got it in their mind about how to do it. She didn't mean anything. She wasn't kicking Megan to the curb or putting her foot on her head. She was just saying, well, that's not what I asked for. <coughs> but uh, I'm grateful for Dee Dee. You know, I've been, we've been married for 30 years. I tried fighting with her one time. <laughs> and it is so miserable trying to carry on a full-fledged argument with somebody who just looks at you and smiles and says, <laughs> I, it gets frustrating. <laughs> so I gave up on that. <laughs> I might mutter a little bit. But God gave me the best wife I could have ever had in my lifetime. And I'm, you know, I, she's already cooking supper, so I'm still good. But <laughs> I'm just saying, there's not much to fight with if you're not fighting back. Use your words. Uh, she said, that's not how I meant it at all. And there were other incidents that were similar, but we found that if we approached her when there was a problem, it was often quickly resolved and sometimes with a tearful apology. 
Eventually, the ones who didn't go to her, the ones who didn't talk to her when she offended them, had built her into the monster of sorts, and a split happened. Kids that grew up in the church were now part of the youth pastor's church, and others were left behind to pick up the pieces and fill in the gaps that were left behind. Those left behind couldn't help wondering if they shouldn't have left too. Eventually, another group flamed up, and they left too and started another church. I remember the youth pastor asking me about it, you know, when they were talking about leaving, and he thought that I might go with him, and I, I had thought about it. But that was, you know, when Didi had decided to talk to the pastor's wife. And then I realized there was no need for that. You know, we stayed. And he, he asked me what I thought about it. I said, no man is an island. And that's what I learned. You think that you're not important in church. You think that your presence doesn't matter or your lack of presence doesn't matter. But you leave a void when you're not there. Even if you just in and out... <coughs> When you made the decision to leave, it does leave a void. It hurts. And uh, even if you're leaving for the right reason, and I'll tell you, I'll bless you. If you say, you know, I'm better off at this other church, I'll bless you for it, and I'll pray for you. You don't have to be here for me to be happy with you. Uh, now, if you're here, I'll be all ecstatic for you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but... I love y'all. That's the way it needs to be. Because you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if people start disappearing, I'm going to feel bad for preaching this message. But we often think those that are in authority are bulletproof. I remember when I was little and uh, my sister's boyfriend, you know, I remember he was much older than me, but I remember kind of play fighting with him, only I wasn't holding back. He's like, whoa, 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 you know? And it's kind of like that. He think the pastor's bulletproof because he gets up there and he'll, he'll give the word of God and he won't, he won't hold back. But uh, nobody's bulletproof. You go home at the end of the day, it still hurts. There have been many of Monday resignations and, and Tuesday rehires. <laughs> that you never know about. Uh, that once a thing is said, they're unmovable. Didi told me one time that when dealing with kids, and this is, yeah, this is what I was talking about, is she has to teach them to use their words. She means for the one child to go to the other child and tell him what he did wrong. Because children often have a way of striking out physically and you have to teach them early on to talk it out. Well, newsflash, adults will do the same thing especially when you're driving on the highway in Texas. <laughs> Families are hurt, and people that have one foot in the door of the church and one foot out, just go ahead and step on, a, step on out. And it, is it any wonder that people want to stay away from religiosity? I'm going to have to do like Brother Grady and finish this up quick. Brother Grady used to give us an outline, and he wouldn't follow it till the very end. Controlling the tongue. Uh, James says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things of the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. We've put so many things under our control, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. 
Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. And he says, my brethren, these things ought not be so. The tongue no man can tame. No man can tame the tongue without the supernatural grace and assistance from God through the Holy Spirit. Ask God to help you. Be aware of what you might be saying to somebody. Be aware of what you might be doing to somebody. Somebody is not going to change on something that hurts you if they don't know about what hurts you. Don't think you can do it yourself. The Jews thought they could perfect themselves by adding works to Christ, works to salvation. Uh, Paul told him in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He says the tongue is full of deadly poison. David said in Psalm 140, verse 3, he said, They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. In Psalm 5, 9, he says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and they flatter with their tongue. David knew about people that talked about him, and you read it all through the Psalms. He turned his heart toward the Lord. And if somebody's talking about you, and they won't change, there's nothing you can do about it. But your refuge is in the Lord, and that's the example that David said. Romans 3.13, Paul said, Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Look at uh, verse 9 through 12. He said, Therefore we bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. We're praising God while we're sitting in the pew and talking about people when we're not. The same mouth, praising God, and the same mouth running somebody down when they get away. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. If the seed is bad, the tree will be bad. If something is started by a forest fire, God isn't in it. He's a God of second chances, and he can heal and forgive, but he isn't in those fires started by the tongue. So I wanted to share that with you today. Not because I think you ought to shut your dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking mouth. You can say that to yourself, but because I think you ought to use your words, and not because there's anything in particular. To me, that's kind of the best time to preach a sermon when it's not needed, amen? Because then you're just putting a scope on your Bible as a preacher, and you're just, I like to shoot with the shotgun. Let God send it home if there's anything. So if you'll stand today while Miss Maxine plays. <clears throat>